Good morning, King's Church, Kingston. Hope you're doing well. If you're a visitor just checking us out this morning, exploring who Jesus is, you're really welcome. It's great that you're here too. Today, we're going to be kicking off a new preaching series. It's entitled Inspiration in Isolation. And it's based on a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi around AD 62 while he was in prison in Rome. It's actually a church that he'd established some 10 years earlier. But he's writing from jail, having been imprisoned for his faith. He was in captivity, unable to conduct his normal everyday life. And it's from here, it's from this place of enforced isolation that he writes to the church in Philippi. And we're going to look at this letter in some detail over the next weeks. But today we're going to do something slightly different. We're going to look at how did the church start? So when Paul visited Philippi in around AD 50. And we're going to look at three stories of how the gospel impacted uh, the lives of three very different people. So really it's an opportunity to sit back, listen to a few stories and hear about how this church was formed. So Paul, Silas and Timothy were in modern day Turkey. They were going from place to place, what they would do, they would go to a new place, Paul, Silas and Timothy would share the gospel, some people would put their faith in Jesus and from this group they'd form a church community and then they'd go to another place. Anyway, they'd got to a place called Troas, which is near modern day Chinakale. And they had no intention of going to Macedonia or going to Philippi, but one night Paul had a vision where a man from Macedonia spoke to him and said, come, help us. So Paul and his friends definitely felt that that was God telling them to go uh, to Macedonia to proclaim the gospel. So they went to Philippi. Now Philippi was a key city in Macedonia. It was a Roman colony. It was full of lots of veteran uh, soldiers. It was fiercely loyal to Rome and to the emperor. And normally when Paul and his friends went to a new place, they would first of all go to the synagogue where they'd find Jews and explain to them how Jesus was a fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures about a Messiah, that he was the hope that they'd been longing for, the fulfillment of what they'd been dreaming about. But it seems like in Philippi there wasn't a synagogue, probably because there were so few Jews in that city. But Paul supposed that some people who were Jews or who were exploring the Jewish faith would gather to worship on the Sabbath day. So he went looking out for them and to find them. And we join the story in Acts chapter 16, verses 13 onwards. This is Lydia's story. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gates to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who'd come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to us. What was said to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptised and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, 
come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. The first story is the story of Lydia. She's the first believer in Philippi. Now she wasn't a Jew, but she gathered with other women who were exploring the Jewish scriptures and worshiping God. She was a seeker. So she believed the Jewish scriptures, but she probably had not heard about Jesus. And then Paul's there and he's explaining uh, who Jesus is, that he's the Messiah who came to fulfill the promises in the Old Testament. And as she listens intently, God works in her heart. And as Paul reasons and explains the scriptures, she believes. And you see how she puts her faith in Jesus as her Lord and Saviour and is baptised. Now, Lydia was clearly a businesswoman of some wealth. We know that because she was a trader in purple cloth. And to be a trader in purple cloth, you had to have some money. She was probably, if she lived nowadays, she would have been a, a bright, successful businesswoman. Someone who travelled business class, who took clients out to expensive restaurants and charged the expenses to the company account. She would have been in circles with lots of people who were influential, educated, successful. And in spite of her wealth, in spite of her success, there was an emptiness in her. There was a dissatisfaction that hadn't been filled. And that day, as she heard Paul explain who Jesus was and the gospel, she realised that her longing could be fulfilled in what Jesus offered. The church father Augustine puts it like this, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And that was Lydia's story. She found her heart satisfied when she put her faith in the gospel. And what's interesting is when she became a Christian, her faith didn't just remain hidden and private. You hear that the other people working in her household also heard the gospel and believed and were baptised. And then you see how she responded to the hospitality she had received of God, the welcome that she had received in the gospel. And she then extends that to Paul, Timothy and Silas and says, come stay at my house and insists that they stay while they're living in Philippi. You see, when the gospel works in our hearts, it changes us. We want to share with others what it's done. And also uh, it changes us. So we want to be generous and hospitable. So the first story is of Lydia, a successful businesswoman who finds that God satisfies the emptiness in her soul. The second story we pick up in verse 16, we'll read it together. If you want to at home, read it aloud while I read it. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought our owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. 
So the second story is the story of the slave girl. And this little girl's story stands in absolute contrast to Lydia's. Where Lydia's in control, influential, respected. This girl's impoverished, enslaved and exploited. Where Lydia responded to the gospel in a somewhat organised gathering, this slave girl encounters the power of the gospel while heckling Paul and Silas in the streets. Where Lydia responded to Paul explaining the gospel and reasoning and showing how Jesus was the Messiah, the saviour of the world. This slave girl encounters the power of the gospel and is set free in an instant as Paul supernaturally commands a demonic spirit to leave her. This slave girl encountered the power of the gospel and it set her free. You see, in Philippi, we see a church that's being established both by the proclamation of the gospel and also by a demonstration of the gospel's power as this slave girl is set free in an instant. But the story continues. The slave girl owners are furious. They've lost their source of income. Now, what's fascinating is they don't deny the change in the slave girl. It's obvious for them because she can no longer do the work anymore. But nonetheless, they drag Paul and Silas towards the Roman authorities and accuse them of teaching things that oppose Roman culture, of doing things that are against Romanness. And Paul and Silas, without any trial, are beaten up and then you find they're thrown into jail. And this is where we encounter the third story, the third person we hear about today, the jailer. So we pick up the story from Acts chapter 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, don't harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for a light and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptised at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them and he rejoiced along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. So Paul and Silas have been beaten up. They've been unjustly thrown into prison. Yet instead of complaining, they're praying. Instead of cursing God, they're praising God. They're in chains, but their spirits are free. All the circumstances suggest they should be broken, but they know great joy. Then suddenly around midnight, while they're praising God, there's an earthquake. Their chains and the chains of all the other prisoners fall off. We read that the jailer's about to kill himself. 
because he thinks all the prisoners have escaped. And under Roman law, if you'd been responsible for allowing prisoners to escape, you would be killed, executed. So he thought, I better do it myself rather than the authorities doing it. That'll be better. But then Paul cries out and says, no, we're all here. So the jailer comes in to the prison and he sees everyone there. He falls down before Paul and Silas and then he brings them, brings them out. And he says to them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And this really is a twist in the tale. The one who is free cries out to the ones in chains. The one who is living in the good of Pax Romana, as a Roman citizen, looks at Paul and Silas, the prisoners, and realises that they have a peace that he has never known. The jailer realises that the prisoners know more freedom than he ever has. Now, he must have known why Paul and Silas had been thrown into prison, because they were proclaiming a new way of salvation. So he turns to them and says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul gives a pithy summary status and says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you and your family will be saved. But they obviously said more than that that night. It said they spoke the word of God to them that night. We don't know exactly what they said, but I'm guessing they said something like this. That in the beginning, there was God and he made the world and it was good. And he put humans in the world to manage it, to tend it, to have relationship with them. Yet humans rejected God. They turned away from the path God had set and went on their own path. And this resulted in the brokenness that we see in the world. It's what the Bible calls sin. It causes a barrier between us and God. And also the tensions in our relationships with our fellow man. Yet in spite of humans' rejection of God, he still loved the world and the people who had rejected him. And he sent Jesus as his perfect representative to rescue us. Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live, a perfect life. And Jesus died the death that we deserved in order to defeat shame, sin, Satan and death. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. But then three days later, he rose from the dead. God raised him from the dead to show that he defeated shame, sin, Satan and death. And now he's exalted and he's ruling in glory and he's able to save anyone who calls out to him as Lord and Saviour. And one day he's going to come again, but this time as judge. He's going to restore all things, put all wrongs to right. And I'm guessing that evening, the jailer and his family heard something of that message. As Paul and Silas, the prisoners explained it to him, ate with him. And then have the privilege of baptising this jailer and his family. So what are we to learn from these three stories? Lydia's, the slave girls and the jailers. These very three very different people. I want to suggest there are just three quick lessons, three quick points I'd love to draw out. And the first one is this. The gospel is for all. 
You see, as Paul and Silas enter Philippi, the gospel impacts three very different people. A successful businesswoman, an oppressed slave girl and a blue collar jailer. These three stories show us that the gospel message is for all and gives hope to all. The church is to be a place where we find people from all walks of life. It's to be a place where we find the beauty of diversity. You see, the gospel's a great level. It crosses social class, educational level, racial boundaries. It tells us that all of us have a problem and the problem is called sin that we can't solve ourselves. It tells all of us that there's a longing and an emptiness that only God can satisfy in ourselves. But more than that, it offers a solution to the problem of sin through Jesus' death and resurrection. And it offers us satisfaction for our souls. As Jesus said somewhere else in John chapter 10, I have come that you may have life and life in all this fullness. And if today you're exploring who Jesus is and wondering if he really is saviour of the world, know that this gospel is for you. Because it's for all. And there's an invitation to you to put your trust in Jesus as Lord and saviour. So the gospel's for all. Secondly, the gospel is to be both explained and to be powerfully experienced. Lydia responded to the gospel after hearing Paul explain the scriptures and God worked in her heart as she listened, as she understood Jesus was the saviour of the world. In contrast, the slave girl encountered the power of the gospel of being delivered from an evil spirit as Paul commanded the evil spirit to leave. Whilst the jailer saw the evidence of the gospel in action as Paul and Silas sang their hymns of praise to God while prisoners and they clearly had great joy while in suffering. In the West, I reckon we're far more comfortable with the story of Lydia than the slave girls. It fits more comfortably into our materialistic, everything must be explained worldview. But we want to be church church that sees the gospel both explained and powerfully experienced. And actually that's what we see as a foundation of the church being established in Philippi. And that's what we want to see in Kingston and beyond. And actually our experience when our family were church planting in Turkey reflected that. There were some people who became Christians after weeks and months of listening to the gospel message and understanding who Jesus was and then putting their faith in Jesus, Lord and Saviour. But there were other times where people encountered the power of God and something almost supernatural prior to putting their faith in Jesus. So people had had visions and dreams about Jesus at night and then came and found a church to find out who Jesus was. Or the lady we prayed for who had nightmares and couldn't sleep well at night and we prayed for them and they stopped instantly and then she was open to the gospel. As a church we clearly desire to be a church that explains the scriptures clearly, gives evidence and reasons why we believe Jesus is the saviour of the world. At the same time we long to be a church where the power of the gospel is on display where we see miracles, healings, deliverances, remarkable answers to prayer. And if you're looking in today as someone exploring who Jesus is, and I'd encourage you to look at the evidence, to look at the reason why we believe Jesus is the Son of God and the Saviour of the world.
Do look at the evidence. But also I'd encourage you more than that to cry out to God and ask him to reveal himself to you. To show himself to you. Because if God is who he says he is, he's more than able to do that. And if you have a need, cry out to him. Say, God, would you break out and break in in this area of my life? Because we believe the gospel isn't just to be explained, but to be powerfully experienced. So the gospel is to be explained, powerfully experienced. And finally, we see in this story that true freedom and true peace is found in the person of Jesus. I'm guessing uh, over the last few weeks, your lives have been turned upside down. For many of us, life slowed down as social isolation guidelines have kicked in. For some, work's become more hectic and more stressful. For those working in the NHS, work has become more risky as you're putting your life on the line, caring for others. However, for virtually everyone, our normal has radically changed. And over years, we may have built patterns in our life that have brought an order and a peace, and these can be in disarray. And that can bring huge amounts of anxiety and uncertainty and discomfort. But in Philippians, we see a different type of peace and freedom on display. A peace that's irrespective of circumstances, souls that are free whilst in captivity, and the peace that Paul and Silas found whilst in prison can be yours and mine at this time. And it's found in Jesus. At this time, let's be quick to know God's peace. Let's come to him with our fears, our anxieties, our frustrations. Actually, as we look in the coming weeks in the book of Philippians, we'll see how Paul explains we can know the peace of God that transcends and uh, surpasses understanding. But let's just look at today's story where we see Paul and Silas. How do they respond? They come in prayer. They come in worship. And it's clear that they find the peace of God. It's clear that they find joy in the midst of hugely challenging circumstances. You see, the wonder of this is Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's our peace and he gives peace to those who come to him and cry out to him. And that is invitation is to all. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that the good news of the gospel is for all people. We want to thank you uh, that we can clearly see that in this story. Lord, we want to thank you that the wonder of the gospel is not just to be known about intellectually, but to be experienced in our hearts and in our lives and in life changing way. We want to thank you that you're the giver of peace. And God, at this time of uncertainty, unexpected uh, changes in our lives, we pray, God, would we be people who find the peace of God and then shed it abroad to others. And for those who are exploring the Christian faith, God, we pray, would you reveal yourself to them? We ask that in Jesus' name, for his glory and for our good. Amen.